0: This is the Life Church podcast. For more messages, to watch our live stream, or to find other events, go to LifeChurchNow.org. Next Sunday is Easter, and that means that today, uh, in the church calendar, it's Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday essentially is basically the the beginning of the week of Passion. It's when Jesus triumphantly enters into Jerusalem on a donkey. You know, you know the story. It's the beginning of the week of Passion. So next Sunday, we're going to celebrate the resurrection. But oftentimes, we overlook or we miss what happens during this week. And we're going to, we're going to kind of focus in on that this morning. In Matthew 27, it says this, Even the thieves who were crucified with him, we know the story, we've seen the the depictions, we don't know exactly if this is how it happened, but we know that Christ was crucified, and according to the depictions, there's a a thief on his left and a thief on his right. We don't know if that's exactly how it was, or whether they were to the left or right of him, or whether it was to the right of him or left of him, we don't know, but we do know that there was these two thieves that were crucified next to Christ. It says, even the thieves who were crucified with him insulted him, so they mocked him, they made fun of him. We know the story. Jesus was beaten, a crown of thorns, Judean thorns, six-inch thorns pressed into his skull. He was, he was humiliated, he was spit upon, then he was forced to carry his cross up the hill to, to be crucified. And then after being, cru- even in crucifixion, there are thieves to his left and his right insulting him, mocking him. Luke 23, the same story talking about these thieves, one of them kind of has a change of heart. It says, one of the criminals who was hanging there railed at him saying, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. I mean, if you say who you say you are, couldn't you just basically call down angels from heaven and rescue yourself and us? But the other rebuked him. The other thief rebuked him saying, don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we rightly so, for we are getting what we deserve for what we did. But this man has done nothing wrong, talking about Jesus. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, I tell you the truth. Probably the most beautiful words a man could ever hear. Today you will be with me in paradise. What a strange day for this criminal, right? Like it started off as his worst day. I mean, nothing can be worse than being crucified and expected to die on a cross. It started off as his worst day, and his worst day turns into his best day because at the end of it all, he finds forgiveness and assurance of heaven through Jesus Christ. I wish I knew more about this man, but we don't really know a lot. There's, there's not written, there's not a whole lot you can find. Even in, in the annals of history, there's not very much that can be found about this man. Um, some people like to speculate, they like to throw names out about who this guy was, who this thief to, the, you know, to, to Jesus' side, came to Jesus' aid was. But we don't really know who he really was. All we know is that in history, he's simply a thief who's crucified next to Jesus, and he gets an 11th hour pardon. At the last minute, he's, he finds Christ. See, something happened to him while he was hanging on that cross. Something happened to him during those six hours that he, that he, was, that he was crucified next to Jesus. During, those six hour, during that six-hour period, something happened inside of him that caused him to change his mind. That He went from ridiculing and mocking Jesus to believing him and defending him. So what happened to him? That's what we're going to talk about today. What is it that he experienced at that moment that caused him to change his mind? And here's what my hope and prayer is, is that we would experience the same thing today. Whatever it is that he experienced, that moment, I'm hoping that you would leave today different than how you came in, that you would experience exactly what Christ, what this thief experienced on that cross just during those six hours. We don't know much about this man. But to be honest with you, part of me wants to think that his story was one of justice being served. Right? That that somehow another he had a string of bad luck, a series of unfortunate events, and and at the end, at the very end of his life, he gets a break. Justice get he gets justice. We don't know. If I could speculate, I'd like to think that maybe his story went something like this. that He was born into a family by accident. His mother didn't really know who his father was. And as he was early on in life, he was growing up that that, uh, there was men in and out of the home. Didn't really respect them. They didn't respect him. might have been rejected and abused. Probably by the age of five, which would have been very customary in that time, his mother just... Let him off to the streets. You know he was going to be better off begging on the street than than trying to eke out a living. And a mother trying to feed this child. Maybe she had multiple children. So he starts begging for a living. I'd like to think that he grew up as a kind boy. But maybe by the time he was 12, he was you know not only by himself a beggar on the streets, but maybe he had kind of grouped up with a bunch of other little orphans on the streets, and maybe they were running the streets, the back alleys of Jerusalem. And he was not only caring for himself, but he was also caring for younger ones. I'd like to think that about this, about this man. I don't know. One day he's rummaging through a trash can and he finds an intact loaf, a full loaf of bread. Excitement just wells up in his mind. I've got food for me and I've got food for my friends. And so he starts running back to where all the other orphans are. He's ready. He's so excited to share this bread with them when a Roman soldier sees him and immediately assumes that he's a thief. Immediately assumes that he stole that loaf of bread. So he's arrested. And he's placed in prison. In prison, he experiences one injustice after another. And then one day he sees a Roman soldier mercilessly beating... An older man and a sense of justice inside him said, that's not right. So he tries to step in to protect the older man, to, to say this is wrong. And in, in the scuffle, the, the Roman soldier falls and, and dies. And now he's on death row. Now he's hanging on a cross. You know why I like to think that that's his story? Because it means that he didn't deserve to die on a cross. It means that when Jesus forgave him, when Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise, that that was justice for this man. I mean, that's, a, that's the kind of stories that we like to hear. That's the kind of stories that, that we like to be a part of, that somebody has been dealt a, 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 bad, a bad hand and, and somehow or another that things are really bad, but God steps in and rescues the day, and that's what we like to hear. But, and the reason we feel that way is because that's how Jesus was, right? I mean, you look through the Gospels, and you see that Jesus was constantly looking out for the, for the, the people who were overlooked, the people who were hurting and suffering, who, who had suffered injustice, There's a story in the Bible of a a blind beggar who hears that Jesus is coming through and and he begins to scream to the top of his lungs, Jesus, Son Son of God, will you please heal me? Will you do something for me? People around him are like, hey, wait a minute, be quiet. They're embarrassed. They're upset that he's yelling so loudly. Hey, be quiet. He doesn't have time for you. Leave him alone. But Jesus hears this man. And he makes time, and he heals the man. A woman caught in the act of adultery. I mean, she's caught in the act of adultery. She is guilty of sin. And these religious bullies bring her, and they throw her at his feet and say, she should be stoned to death. But what does Jesus do? He doesn't pick up a rock and stone her. Instead, he stands between them and her, and he rescues her. He frees her. Why? Because God has a heart for the down and out, for the overlooked, for the undervalued. In fact, Psalms, Psalms tells us that God is the father to the fatherless. And so, I say all that to say, if you feel like you haven't had a fair shake, if you've been, you know, that deck that's been, been stacked against you and you just haven't done you just haven't experienced what you really want to experience in life, I think you would like Jesus. I think Jesus would like you too. If that's your story, if that's what you've experienced, I'm certain that he is the father to the fatherless. If you've suffered injustice, if you've been, again, if if things have just happened that you just out of your control, it's not your fault, he sees you. He's your father, just as we sang. I mean, I'd like to think that that was a story of this thief, right? And yet, I don't really think that was his story. I'm not sure that that was it. The reason I feel that way is because I could feel better about this gift that he receives, this last-minute pardon. Because, again, it speaks to injustice and it being made right, that somehow at the very end, God makes things right. There's something about us that's more comfortable with that kind of forgiveness, right? Because this guy really didn't do anything to deserve it. We don't know his whole story, but he really didn't do anything to deserve it. And so when Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise, it kind of feels like, man, that's a little bit unfair. Like he didn't do anything to deserve it. And that's because, you know, we, we feel like he should earn it at least a little bit. There's this false gospel, false gospel out there that we that we have bought into in many ways that, that you know, hey, Jesus pays the membership dues, but 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 you have to pay the monthly installments. That you have to work for it. That you have to make it happen. And oftentimes we get caught up in that. And we think that that's how we get in. We forget that none of us really deserve it. Not a single... There's not a single person sitting in this room right now, including myself, that deserves the gift of grace that we have received. Uh, I hope that sinks in. Because it's easy for us to think, oh man, you know, if you've been sitting here long enough, it's easy for you to think, oh, I'm good. I got my act together. I'm better than that person down the row there. And none of us deserve this. I remember the first time I, I ever flew, the uh, first and only time I ever flew first class, because <laughs> I only flew once. Um, I was uh, coming back from Bangladesh to the States. I, I had to fly to Houston because I was, I was being summoned for, for a court uh, thing. And so I, was, um, I, I went up to the counter. I had my, my normal coach ticket, you know, the, the cheapest ticket you can buy. I walk up to the British Airways counter, and I hand her my ticket, and she looks at me, she kind of checks me in, took my luggage and all that, and then she said, thank you, Mr. Green, have a great flight. You know, you've been upgraded. Oh, she said, you've been upgraded, have a great flight. I didn't think anything of it. I'm like, oh, upgraded, Yeah, great, they'll give us a few extra cokes or something. I don't know, I wasn't thinking. So I had my ticket, you know, so I won't go into the airport, I mean, into the terminal, I'm sitting there waiting, and they start calling you how they, the normal thing, they call a different, you know, if you need help or whatever. First class customers, please, please come on board now, you know, and I'm just sitting there and... And the lady had checked me in, she was just being kind to of me, I guess. But the lady had checked me in, she's, she kind of like made eye contact with me. I'm sitting there waiting for, my, for me to get called in. And I hadn't looked at my ticket. My ticket had said first class. <laughs> I didn't realize that. But I'm sitting there, and, and she goes she kind of makes eye contact, Mr. Green, I'm talking to you. You can get on the plane now. And I'm like, what? I'm in first class. That was exciting. You know, I mean, I always was jealous of first class, you know? And so now I can sit in first class and I can give that pretentious look to people as they walk by. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to the back. (laughs) Sorry. You have to sit back there in those tight, confined seats. You know, I was like, you know, but of course, I, I hadn't done anything to earn it. <laughs> I didn't pay for that ticket. I paid for the cheaper ticket, but I got upgraded, right? And then after I sat there for a few minutes, I realized that I wasn't the only one that was there by accident. So I realized that there was other people that had been upgraded as well for free, <laughs> and uh, and I don't know when this happened, but at some point, I kind of started looking at those other people, kind of like, look, I'm not like, like, not like looking down upon them, but I started like judging them a little bit, you know, like there was this Bengali man that sat across the aisle from me, you know, and he sat down and very promptly, the plane hadn't even taken off yet. And he very promptly pulls out this napkin and he started digging in his ear <laughs> and then wiping it on the napkin and then digging in his ear and then wiping it on the napkin. I'm like, That's gross. And, and you know, I didn't say this, but, like, in my mind, like, you don't belong in first class. You got to get out of here. Right? And then right next to me was this lady that also was upgraded for free. She didn't tell me that, but I, I imagine by the glee that she had, she's so excited, you know. And she was so excited, especially that that you get... All, you know, whatever you ask for, they just bring it to you. You know, you want an extra Coke? You... And so she was like ordering these little bottles of, you know, uh, alcohol, you know, just getting several of them, you know, and, and then hot towels. And she just was just so over the top asking. I was rolling my eyes embarrassed for her. I'm like, please, lady, you, you really don't belong here. This is, you're embarrassing the rest of us. And I, like, in just a short amount of time, I'd forgotten that I too had been upgraded. That I too didn't really belong there. This happens in church all the time. I don't know when it happens. I don't know how it happens, but we receive this free gift of grace. And at some point, I don't know what it is, but at some point, it's like maybe the seat has our name on it, and that's my seat. And I, you know, it's all about me, and oh, look at that. What do they do? Why do they worship that way? Why do they dress that way? Oh, I saw that guy stumbling out of the bar the other day. What's he doing here? And we forget that we too have been upgraded. I hope you're hearing me. I don't know what this guy's life was like, this thief. But if I could speculate, perhaps he was really, instead of being born into a a family where he had no father, he was born into a loving family. Maybe his mother would sing to him every night before he'd fall asleep. Maybe his dad was like so so excited about having this male child that he was going to be able to teach him the family business. Looking forward to that. But this kid grows up, and he really takes all of that for granted. Didn't really appreciate what he had, and he was sure that he could do better than his family. He was sure that, that what he had was just uh, insignificant. I really want to do something for myself. And so as a teenager, he just tells his parents off, and he, he just goes out on his own. He starts doing his own thing. Before long, he's getting day by day-by-day, by day, uh... You know, stealing bread, stealing food, stealing clothes, whatever he can get his hands on to try to survive. Over a period of time, he, because sometimes this requires cunning and, and, and some, maybe even violence, he discovers, because you have to fend for yourself on the street, he discovers that, that he has a knack for violence. And he's able to, you know, defend himself. He, in fact, maybe even extort a few people, manipulate a few people, you know, so he's, he's stealing one day he's, he sees this rich man in a market, and, and he see, he, he's eyeing this man. He realizes he has a, a purse full of gold, and he knows that this would be payday for him. And so he starts scheming and planning how he's going to steal that purse of gold. And, and after, after the plan starts materializing, he runs after the man to take that, that gold. And, but the man resists, and they start fighting. And, 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 and there's, you know this fight ensues, and before long, at the end of it all, the man that he was trying to steal gold from, lies there in a pool of blood, dead. He stabbed him. A soldier nearby saw that, arrest him, and now he's on death row, angry and bitter, and he hangs on a cross. I don't know if that was a story, but this would be a common story of the day. This would be something that you would see and hear. In fact, if you read history, you'll see that there's a lot of stories like that. Barabbas was one of those guys, right? Right? <clears throat> Well, something happens to him. If that's a story, something happens to him that changes his heart, and now he's asking Jesus to remember him when he's in heaven. How did this happen? What did he see? What did you know? How did he go from this this criminal that's mocking him to this? this criminal who is humbled and asking for forgiveness. How did that happen? What did he see? We know that he was close enough to hear, maybe hear Jesus speaking because they're having a conversation. And so maybe he's close enough to hear Jesus say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's what changed the the guy's mind. Maybe hearing Jesus pray to, to his father, God, why have you forsaken me? Maybe that's what changed him. But it's likely not because... As a thief, he may not have really known that, that Jesus was quoting one of the Psalms, Psalm 22. It's unlikely that he understood the theological implications behind it. It's this prophetic Psalm, Psalm 22, where King David is talking about crucifixion. He's talking about piercing nails, piercing hands and feet. What's interesting is that King David wrote this psalm. It's a prophetic psalm. He wrote it hundreds of years before crucifixion was ever even invented. So maybe what Jesus was saying here is that, that, hey, I'm the fulfillment of this prophecy. You know, as he's saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus might be saying, I'm the fulfillment of this, but it's unlikely, really. In 2 Corinthians 5, it tells us that Jesus became sin. He became sin. We focus so much on the physical suffering of Jesus. You know, the nails, the cross, the the whips, the whip, the, the thorns, We focus so much on that as, as the pain that he was feeling and suffering and yet his greatest suffering was the fact that he became sin for us. Jesus became sin so that we could be God's righteousness is what 2 Corinthians tells us. The whole reason that Jesus came was because sin had separated us from God. So Jesus becomes our sin so that we can become his righteousness. God forsook Jesus so that God could accept you and me maybe that's what changed this guy's heart I don't know I doubt it because I don't think he understood what Jesus was really praying maybe what changed this guy's heart was when Jesus starts speaking to the apostle John and says hey hey John will you take care of my mom I mean, Jesus is suffering the most excruciating pain. You have to understand that to be able to speak, he would have to push on the nails on his, through his feet, push up because when he was stretched out, his diaphragm stretched out, he can't actually talk. So he has to push up to get words out of his mouth. And he does that, and the words he speaks is, John, will you take care of my mother? Maybe the thief seeing that, hearing that, thinks, wow, in his most desperate time of need, he's not even thinking about himself, he's thinking about his mom, maybe. But if I had to guess, I would say that the moment that really changed this thief's heart was the moment he prayed for those Roman soldiers. Soldiers had beaten Jesus, and this thief understood that because he had experienced the same kind of beatings. And so Jesus prays, and he prays for these soldiers. and you know what he prays? He prays for grace. He says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. I mean, just think about that for a second. He doesn't pray for their destruction. And man, I, I just had this mental picture of the angels in heaven at that very moment in time. Tens of thousands on the edge of heaven, looking down, just seeing Jesus brutalized and and insulted and spit upon and then hung on a cross like a common thief, just saying, Jesus, speak the word and we will come down with the wrath of heaven. Jesus could have. He could have said, God, save me from this place. This is not right. And it would have happened. But that's not what he prays. Instead he says, Father, forgive them. I mean, what do you do with that kind of forgiveness? Seriously. When you see that, when you experience that, you, and you have, some of you have, you know what it's like to see somebody else's story, you see the level of forgiveness they extend to a husband who's cheated them terribly. And you see that, and you're like, wow, I couldn't could ever do that. This thief notices that, and I think it wrecked him. I think he sees the level of forgiveness that the father extends, and it just destroys him. It changes his heart. In fact, it switched so quickly that he did something that nobody else was doing. I mean, Simon Peter, he was nowhere in sight. He was hiding, he was running away. Pontius Pilate, he was washing his hands of it. But here this thief who didn't have to, but this Steve decides to defend Jesus, to believe in Jesus. In fact, this is what he says, again, I'm gonna read it, verse 41, it says, we are getting what we deserve for what we did, but this man has done nothing wrong. You know what's happening in this moment? The heart is turning, salvation is taking place, and faith rises up, and this is what he says, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. So here's my simple question as I bring this message to a close. Has that happened for you? Have you been humbled by your own guilt and sin and then invited into a relationship with Jesus Christ? That's my prayer. My prayer is that each and every one of us in this room would have experienced that. There's this image here. Uh, it's a picture of uh, a, a painting by Rembrandt. It's called "The Lifting of the Cross," famous painting that he painted back in the 1600s. But um, <clears throat> Rembrandt and others too. But Rembrandt was known for painting himself into the picture. You know, so right here you see there's the cross, and at the very bottom there's like a highlight on his face. He's got the little funny hat on. That's Rembrandt. That's his that's his image, and uh, and he, you know, he, was, he was a storyteller with his paintings. And so one of the things that you can see here is that he, he puts himself at the very foot of the cross and he's actually assisting the cross being lifted. As if to say, I crucified the Lord as well. You'll see that actually he's got the, the guy standing up there. There's actually another depiction of him, his own face, who's standing in just kind of like a Pharisee standing in judgment. It's really Rembrandt an older picture of Rembrandt you know where he's he sees himself in judgment and so that's really the challenge for us as you see this picture and the challenge I'd ask invite you into is would you how would you paint yourself into that day 2,000 years ago who would you be It's kind of silent in here. Imagine the mind is spinning, and we're just thinking. Because if anything, I see myself like that thief. I mean, I know what it's like. I don't know this guy's story, but I know my story, and I'm like that thief. You know, I'm the one who's who who has failed miserably. I'm the one who is sin. I'm the one who is guilt ridden. I have no excuse, but I'm also the one, when I recognize that, that I said, Lord, will you forgive me? And I know that there are many of you in this room right now that you remember that day when you invited him into your life as well, but I'm also the one who makes excuses. I'm also the one who looks at the other person and I say, "Uh, I'm better than that person, so I'm okay. Okay. I'm the one who rationalized, I rationalize myself and I'll say things like, yeah, you know what? Yeah, it's not my fault, it's their fault, blame others. But the truth of is, if I'm anybody in this image, I'm the thief that's hanging next to Jesus. I'm the thief on that cross. And I know what it's like to ask God for help. I remember that for me 36 years ago at a, in a church service when I came to the end of myself and I said, God, I need you. I can't do this by myself. I can't make myself better. I can't be the righteous person I need to be. I need you. And he came to my rescue. You see, when you see the story of the thief, you think, man, how presumptuous of this guy to ask for help. I mean, he's lived, if he's, if in fact, the story I told, the second story I told about, it, in fact, that was his story. He lived that kind of life, and at the very end, he actually asked for God help, God's help. How presumptuous of him. I mean, he did nothing to deserve it. And that's the point. You and I have done nothing, nothing, nothing to deserve the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of us, every one of us are that thief on the cross. Someday in heaven when I'm there, I'm going to try to track down that nameless thief. I don't know who he is. I, don't, I really don't know his story, but I want to say something to him to this effect. I say, hey, you know, I don't really know your story. I don't know everything about it. But what God, what Jesus did for you that day, he did for me. And I hope that each and every one of us in this room will say the exact same thing, that whatever Jesus did for that thief on the cross, he did for me. And it would be a shame if you left this morning not having experienced that. Because we are all guilty. We're all guilty. These two thieves are really emblematic of us. You have the one on one end who basically is railing at Jesus, basically accuses, hey, defend your, you know, do something for us, you know, he's blaming others for for his stuff. And then you have the thief who basically is humbled by the grace that he sees in Christ. So which thief are you? And so what I pray is in these next few minutes you would paint yourself into that picture. You see, I think that what happens is we become very comfortable sitting in church. We do. I'm not talking about busyness and activity. I'm talking about self-worth, the idea that somehow or another I'm in the place that I'm at. You're sitting where you're sitting right now, but somehow by your good deeds, your efforts... And when we do that, here's what happens. In effect, what happens is that we have forgotten the cross. We've forgotten that a very violent death had to happen to our, son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that you and I could be sitting in the seat that we're sitting in. So I'm simply asking you today, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, to paint yourself into that picture, who would you be? Would you be the thief who's throwing accusations at Christ, insulting him, or would you be the one who recognizes that I don't deserve anything I've got and it's only by God's grace that I am where I'm at? Who would you be? Let's all stand. We're going to pray. Jairus is going to lead us in a song here in a second, but as as he's leading us in this song, here's my hope, that none of us would leave this place the same way that we came in. So either you are a person who has never given your life to Christ, you've been to church, you've done the church thing maybe, or you've kind of, you just pop in in and out, but you've never, you're not really living a life that's surrendered to Christ. You're not really living a life with a consciousness of Jesus on a daily basis. You're just, just kind of going through life and you feel good about yourself because, well, you're an engineer or you're a doctor or you're a nurse or you're, you know, you're you know, you're, you're professional, or maybe not. Maybe you're just, you're just good at your job, you know, and you're just going through life. You feel like everything is fine. And my prayer for you is that you would hear it. And like that thief, you'd be humbled by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. There are others of you, though, that you've been in church, and like that first-class illustration, first-class seat illustration I gave, I've been sitting in that seat a little bit too long and you forgot. I know I've been there. I know it took this week for me to be in prayer and just thinking about the message I had to preach this morning to come to this consciousness again that God, I don't deserve anything I have. Anything I have, I don't deserve it. I'm here simply by your grace.